grateful that you're here this morning. I'm excited to share this time with you as we continue our series, The Truth About Life. We're talking about different areas of theology, and today we're talking about the Holy Spirit. And so as a way of setting up that conversation, I, I want to do a test on you, a test to see what gifting the Holy Spirit has possibly given you, but I'll tell a story before that test. So it was a Sunday evening before I was leaving at five in the morning to fly out to China for two weeks. Okay, Sunday evening, spending a little bit of time with Lindsay. When we started doing some math and some things weren't exactly adding up, and we said, you think? I said, no, surely not. But I ran to Walgreens a mile down the road, and I made a quick purchase. And as I'm checking out with my one item, the lady seeing what I'm checking out with wants to chat, and I have no desire to chat. I run home, longest mile I drove, longest mile drive of my life, and I get there with Lindsay, and then we sit there, and we wait, and we watch, and I see it first. And I look at her, and I look back, because the stick in my hand says, Pregnant. So we are having another baby, and, um, and as, as, as soon as we found that out, I left for two weeks to let Lindsay deal with that on her own. So I had to go do the Lord's work, I told her. So um, that never goes over well, and, um, but I'm excited. So here's the, here's the test. We're going to see if you have the gift of prophecy. So if you think we're having a girl, will you raise your hand? We got some. Okay. If you think we're having a boy, will you raise your hand? Okay, we're having a boy. So um, we asked Noble if you want a sister or a brother, and he said brother. So we're having a brother for him. So I'm excited to share that with you all. And that's actually a terrible test to determine if you've got the gift of prophecy, so don't, don't let that count for anything. 2 Thessalonians 2, 13. <clears throat> but we must always give thanks to God for you, brothers and sisters, beloved by the Lord, because God chose you as the first fruits for salvation through sanctification by the spirit and through belief in the truth and for this purpose he called you through our proclamation of the good news so that you may obtain the glory of our lord jesus christ so then brothers and sisters stand firm and hold fast to the traditions you were taught by us either by word of mouth or by our letter And now may our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God our Father who loved us and through grace gave us eternal comfort and good hope, comfort your hearts and strengthen them in every good work and word. He made a decision. It wasn't easy. In fact, he told me, Eric, it was the hardest decision I ever made. A decision to be celibate and to commit his life from that moment on only to God. And years later, he told me, Eric, at that moment... Something happened. God did something in response. He said, Eric, God took my lust and my passion and my attraction to others, and he just turned that dial way down. And he turned this separate dial, the style of joy and peace and contentment, he turned it up. God at the controls, you know, turning life's dials. And that image, since he told me that story as a college student, has never left my mind. And it's made me wonder many times the same question you probably wonder. Do people ever actually change? You know, does the noise that's ringing in one area of their life, does that ever get turned down in some separate and sweeter melody 
turned up? Do people change? Do the dials turn? So they were talking about divorce. Okay, from the outside looking in, they were an amazing couple. Their, their marriage had started in this whirlwind of joy and excitement. They both committed to serving this organization that preached the gospel all over the world. I mean, from the outside looking in, they were the kind of couple everybody wants to be. But at home, they could hardly stand to look at each other. So they were talking divorce. But then something happened. And it wasn't overnight. It took time. But slowly, the things that he did that would set her off, the things that she did that would cause him to resent her, those things just started to dissipate. And in their place, words started to be said. Words like, thank you, and oh, I couldn't have done that without you, and night, honey, I love you. They moved, and in a new neighborhood, this newfound love that they had for each other just kind of bubbled over. The rest of the neighborhood could see it, and the neighborhood took note, and the neighborhood around them started to change for the better. And they were praying together like they'd never done before. And they were sharing these devotionals like they had never done before. If you see them today, it's hard to believe it's the same couple three years ago thinking about divorce. But something changed. Some dials turned. Who turned them? Another woman as a child was abused, had a really hard life, ended up pregnant as a teenager. She was depressed. She was anxious. She was fearful shameful. Those were all routine. To see her today at Highland, you wouldn't believe it was the same woman. You know, growing up into this incredible woman of faith, this amazing wife and mother, hard to believe. When another Highlander asked her if she could come live with her because she couldn't pay her rent, she said, come on. And she ended up living with them for a year, cared for by that energetic mom who years before couldn't even care for herself. She was so bruised and beaten. But at some point, something changed. Dials turned. He was five years old, he told me, before they discovered his hearing loss. Five years old. Can you imagine that? The kindergarten teacher actually told his parents that they should have him tested, and indeed their worst fears were confirmed. He was losing his hearing. Five years old. Can you imagine? That for the rest of your life, you're going to be different than all your peers. Some of, some of the counselors told him that they should take him out of school, that he was going to get picked on, that he wasn't going to amount to much, and I'm sure he did get picked on. He was mad, he told me. He said, did God get distracted when knitting me together in my mother's womb? You know, I prayed for God to fix me, and God would not do it. He told me, Eric, I never smiled. I was always mad. Years later, he's at the University of Memphis, and he's walking down the street by the student center, Christian student center, and he decides for some reason that he can't explain that maybe he should go in there. And he goes in, and he meets with this campus minister, and he has got a lot of questions because he's been mad for so long. And the campus minister says, whoa, whoa, I'm not going to answer your questions. Let's just spend some time reading the Bible together. And so they do for weeks. They just read the Bible together, the two of them. Until one day, they're reading in Acts about the Ethiopian eunuch, and he looks to the campus minister and says, like the one he's reading about, well, why shouldn't I be baptized? And something happened in the water. The anger started 
to fade, be turned down. It wasn't instant. It took a while. But in the water, he had this taste of what life with Christ was like and how that was different than the life he was living. And suddenly he wanted more, so he started drawing deeper and deeper into Christ. He wanted to know everything he could. He studied. He read his Bible all the time. He got a master's degree from Harding School of Theology, and he prayed and he prayed that God would take his anger away and replace it with joy, he told me. So it's been 40 years, and he's got this rheumatoid arthritis that's nearly crippling. Okay, nearly crippling. He's in constant pain, and he still struggles to hear. When you talk to him, you can tell he's, he's reading your lips. But when you see Mike at the book nook every Sunday, right out here, he will be smiling. Because as he told me, there is not a hint of anger left in his heart. There's none left there. The dial's been turned down, and some separate dial, the dial of joy, turned up in Mike's life. So when I stand up here to preach to you all, or when Chris stands up here to preach, these are the stories that we see looking back at us up here. Hundreds of faces here, hundreds of stories looking back at us. Believers at this church whose lives have changed and are changing. You know, dials that have been turned up, dials that have been turned down, joy in place of sorrow, patience in place of worry, kindness in place of selfishness. You all, we all. We are changing. Jesus prays for that. Jesus prays in John 17 that we will be changed. He uses another word for that. He uses the word sanctified. He prays that we will be sanctified, which means changed on purpose, changed to look more like Jesus, more different from the world, more holy, more set apart. He prays in John 17. He tells God, God, I have sanctified myself. This is Jesus talking. I have sanctified myself so that they might be sanctified like me, which is a pretty high standard. Changed to look like Jesus. Okay, that's a high standard. I think it's because of that that preachers like me and even Paul get caught up at times asking you all to do more. Okay, in the hopes that in the doing, there might be some changing. That if you just do enough, you will begin to look like Jesus. So Paul in Thessalonians, okay, he's writing to this Thessalonian church that is a great church. As a church, they're just killing it. They're the kind of church that would give $50,000 over their outreach contribution goal. Do you know a church like that? Yeah, you do. So as a church, they're doing really well, but Paul finds himself at times asking for more. He, he says in chapter 4 of his first letter, you're all doing, you're, you're doing really great, but you know how you love each other? Well, you could do that more and more. He says some of you are kind of lazy, some of you need to work a little bit harder, some of you are kind of nosy, you need to mind your own business, you do need to work on that. Well, well, you know, all that stuff I told you about living the Christian life, all that stuff. Well, if you could just do that more and more, First Thessalonians. So sometimes the preacher needs to remind you, needs to be reminded himself that we've all got a part to play in this change thing. Okay, like part of your change in your life is your responsibility, he says. Don't forget that. But then he steps back from the desk he's working at. He sets his pen down, and he begins to think about this Thessalonian church. He starts thinking about their stories. He remembers Jason, Jason who we meet in Acts in Thessalonica. Jason was a good guy. 
but just kind of going through the motions. He worked hard during the day, spent a little time with his family in the evening. He even attended synagogue, just kind of good old boy. So then one day, Jason is at the synagogue doing his thing, and this visiting preacher comes. It's Paul. And Paul tells him good news, he says. Good news about Jesus the Christ. Jason's never heard this before. And he listens, and he thinks, man, I kind of want to know a little bit more about that. So he begins to study with Paul, and Paul starts explaining to him the mysteries and wonders of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And he just starts kind of taking over his life. And he becomes passionate about something for the first time in his entire life. And he starts telling everybody he knows about this Jesus guy. In fact, he's talking so much about Jesus that that's what they call him, the Jesus guy. So much so that when the people in Thessalonica get mad at Paul and come to arrest him for preaching, and they can't find Paul, they take Jason instead. And they arrest Jason and make Jason post-bond. You know, Paul thinks about that years later, and he sits down his pen, right, and he laughs. Because he knows that nothing that he did as a preacher changed Paul, changed Jason that much. There was something else going on. Someone else working in Jason's life, working in the rest of those lives in that Thessalonian church, a church of people who used to struggle with sexual sin, we know, some who were cheating others at their jobs, some who were lazy, some who were timid, some who were weak, some who were impatient, but they've changed. Jason, the rest. And Paul thinks about them, about their stories. And so he says in his first letter to them, okay, you've got this part to play in chapter 4. You all need to keep being joyful. You need to keep praying. You need to keep giving thanks. Here's things that you need to do. But, but listen, here's the deal. It is God's will that the Spirit sanctify you. It is God's will that the Spirit sanctify you. And so all you need to do is not quench the Spirit. Don't put out the Spirit's fire. And the dials in your life will keep turning. You'll keep changing. So he sends that first letter off as you think about the correspondence between Paul and this church. And he just sits there and waiting and praying that the Spirit will continue to do what the Spirit is doing. Changing these people. He waits and waits, and then another letter comes, and in this letter is a report, a verdict. A report has come his way that, indeed, their faith is growing more and more. You see that behind me? And their love is increasing. And so he gives thanks. Because what else do you do? But we must always give thanks to God for you, brothers and sisters, beloved by the Lord, because God chose you as the first fruits for salvation through sanctification by the Spirit. And through our belief in the truth. For this purpose, he called you through our proclamation of the good news so that you may obtain the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. And when I think about your stories here at this church, okay, I start feeling a little bit like Paul. Thankful. Now, I'm thankful that in this church, there are those of you who, in this place, okay, gave your life to Jesus in baptism, and through that became a first fruit of salvation, which is a reference to Deuteronomy. It means the part of the harvest that God has set aside special. Right? This is specially devoted to God. And some of you have done that in this place. And then in this place just this year, in fact, some just this week, have gone on to receive the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. Like, 
Hortense Thornton, our beloved sister this week. Okay. Some in this church have gone on to receive the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. Okay. And that is something for which we pray. But Paul stops, and it's what happens in the middle between those two. Okay, New birth and death, new life. It's what happens in the middle between those two that causes Paul to stop and give thanks. Because he sees in the members of that church there in Thessalonica a change, a transformation, something that has happened over time. And he calls it sanctification. They are being changed into something better. Changed to look more like Jesus. And they have a part to play in that, he says. But for Paul, there's no mystery about who's doing the heavy lifting when it comes to the change in your life. Paul would say, if you look any different than you did when you went into the water of baptism, the change between those two persons is the work of the Holy Spirit. So some of us don't know exactly all the Holy Spirit does, and I'm one of those people. All right. Unlike the Father and the Son, I think the Holy Spirit is really elusive, hard to pin down, hard to know exactly what the Spirit's up to. But I do think, I'm convinced of this, that if you look at your life and compare the you that you were when you went into the water of baptism to the you that you are today, if you can identify any difference, then that is the work of the Holy Spirit. Now, particularly difference in the trajectory of Jesus Christ. If you've just become more grumpy or more grouchy, that's not sanctification. And some of you have. Okay. But the increasing degree to which you look like Jesus is sanctification and the work of only the Holy Spirit. So I look out on you all, and the stories of those dials, of those changes, come to mind. And what that causes me to do as I look at you all is to believe, without a doubt, in the power of the Holy Spirit. You heard Matt and Monique's story earlier, moving towards adoption by the Spirit's lead, and you heard them describe it, that they'd be bringing an infant into their home and now bringing three little boys, right? And now they're ready for that and waiting. I know a family here, you know them too, spent the last nearly 10 years caring for their aging mother. She had dementia, was slowly slipping away. And to do that, over 10 years, they gave up time with each other every day, every night. One of them would have to sleep near her every night because she would awake in the night with distress. She was afraid and shaking. They'd have to to rush in there and comfort her. She didn't understand what was going on. She was confused. She'd call out for help. They haven't slept well in seven to eight years, like parents of a new baby. I thought a lot about that recently. And what I think is that probably, I could be wrong, but my guess would be that at my age, they weren't ready for that. You know, at this point in sanctification, they weren't ready for caring for someone, a parent, with no repayment, no acknowledgement, no thank you, no even recognition of who they were some days. But by the time God needed them to be ready, they were. Sanctified by the Holy Spirit, changed to look like Jesus, who spent a little bit of time caring for people in distress, right? A little bit. In many churches, when Scripture is read, the reader will end the reading by saying, the word of the Lord, and the people respond, thanks be to God. Well, as I look out on you all, what I see is a living text. 
In my mind, you are God's scripture walking and living around me. And as I think about you and I read the stories in your life, stories of dials turned, of the Holy Spirit's work over time to make you look more like Jesus, I can't help but say, thanks be to God. Indeed, thanks be to God. If you haven't opened yourself up to the transforming, dial-turning, changing work of the Spirit, I hope you'll do it today. I'd love to receive you and talk to you. I'd also love to invite you to our baptism class at 10 o'clock in the office conference room. Will you stand as we worship together? I will never be the same again.